Section 8 of Lady into Fox. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Callahan. Lady into Fox by David Garnett. Section 8. After an hour or two, the procession of confused and jumbled images which first assailed him passed away and subsided into one clear and powerful dream. His wife was with him in her own proper shape, walking as they had been on that fatal day before her transformation. Yet she was changed, too, for in her face there were visible tokens of unhappiness. Her face swollen with crying, pale and downcast, her hair hanging in disorder, her damp hands wringing a small handkerchief into a ball, her whole body shaken with sobs and an air of long neglect about her person. Between her sobs she was confessing to him some crime which she had committed, but he did not catch the broken words, nor did he wish to hear them, for he was dulled by his sorrow. So they continued walking together in sadness, as it were, forever, he with his arm about her waist, she turning her head to him and often casting her eyes down in distress. At last they sat down, and he spoke, saying, I know they are not my children, but I shall not use them barbarously because of that. You are still my wife. I swear to you they shall never be neglected. I will pay for their education. Then he began turning over the names of schools in his mind. Eton would not do, nor Harrow, nor Winchester, nor Rugby. But he could not tell why these schools would not do for these children of hers. He only knew that every school he thought of was impossible, but surely one could be found. So turning over the names of schools, he sat for a long while, holding his dear wife's hand, till at length, still weeping, she got up and went away and then he slowly awoke. But even when he had opened his eyes and looked about him, he was thinking of schools, saying to himself that he must send them to a private academy, or even at the worst engage a tutor. Why, yes, he said to himself, putting one foot out of the bed, that is what it must be, a tutor. Though even then there will be a difficulty at first. At those words he wondered what difficulty there would be, and recollected that they were not ordinary children. No. They were foxes, mere foxes. When poor Mr. Tebrick had remembered this, he was, as it were, dazed or stunned by the fact, and for a long time he could understand nothing, but at last burst into a flood of tears compassionating them, and himself too. The awfulness of the fact itself, that his dear wife should have foxes instead of children, filled him with an agony of pity, and, at length, when he recollected the cause of their being foxes, this is, that his wife was a fox also. His tears broke out anew, and he could no longer bear it, but began calling out in anguish, and beat his head once or twice against the wall, and then cast himself down on his bed again, and wept and wept, sometimes tearing the sheets asunder with his teeth. The whole of that day, for he was not to go to the earth till evening, he went about sorrowfully, torn by true pity for his poor vixen and her children. At last when the time came, he went again up to the earth, which he found deserted, but, hearing his voice, out came Esther. But though he called the others by their names, there was no answer, and something in the way the cub greeted him made him fancy she was indeed alone. She was truly rejoiced to see him, and scrambled up into his arms, and thence to his shoulder, kissing him, which was unusual in her, though natural enough in her sister Angelica. He sat down a little way from the earth, fondling her, and fed her with some fish he had brought for her mother, which she ate so ravenously that he concluded she must have been short of food that day, and probably alone for some time. 
At last, while he was sitting there, Esther pricked up her ears, started up, and presently Mr. Tebrick saw his vixen come toward them. She greeted him very affectionately, but it was plain had not much time to spare, for she soon started back whence she had come with Esther at her side. When they had gone about a rod, the cub hung back and kept stopping and looking back to the earth, and at last turned and ran back home. But her mother was not to be fobbed off so, for she quickly overtook her child and, gripping her by the scruff, began to drag her along with her. Mr. Tebrick, seeing then how matters stood, spoke to her, telling her he would carry Esther if she would lead. So after a little while Sylvia gave her over, and then they set out on their strange journey. Sylvia went running on a little before while Mr. Tebrick followed after with Esther in his arms, whimpering and struggling now to be free, and indeed once she gave him a nip with her teeth. This was not so strange a thing to him now, and he knew the remedy for it, which is much the same as with others whose tempers run too high, that is, a taste of it themselves. Mr. Tebrick shook her and gave her a smart little cuff, after which, though she sulked, she stopped her biting. They went thus above a mile, circling his house and crossing the highway until they gained a small covert that lay with some waste fields adjacent to it. And by this time it was so dark that all Mr. Tebrick could do was pick his way, for it was not easy for him to follow where his vixen found a big enough road for herself. But at length they came to another earth, and by the starlight Mr. Tebrick could just make out the other cubs skylarking in the shadows. Now he was tired, but he was happy and laughed softly for joy, for presently his vixen, coming to him, put her feet upon his shoulders as he sat on the ground and licked him, and he kissed her back on the muzzle, and gathered her in his arms and rolled her in his jacket, and then laughed and wept by turns in the excess of his joy. All his jealousies of the night before were forgotten now. All his desperate sorrow of the morning and the horror of his dream were gone. What if they were foxes? Mr. Tebrick found that he could be happy with them. As the weather was hot, he lay out there all night, first playing hide-and-seek with them in the dark, till, missing his vixen, and the cubs proving obstreperous, he lay down and was soon asleep. He was woken up soon after dawn by one of the cubs tugging at his shoelaces in play. When he sat up, he saw two of the cubs standing near him on their hind legs, wrestling with each other, and the other two were playing hide-and-seek around a tree trunk. And now Angelica let go his laces and came romping up into his arms to kiss him and say good morning to him, then worrying the points of his waistcoat a little shyly after the warmth of his embrace. That moment of awaking was very sweet to him. The freshness of the morning, the scent of everything at the day's rebirth, the first beams of the sun upon a treetop near, and a pigeon rising into the air suddenly, all delighted him. Even the rough scent of the body of the cub in his arms seemed to him delicious. At that moment all human customs and intuitions seemed to him nothing but folly, for said he, I would exchange all my life as a man for my happiness now, and even now I retain almost all of the ridiculous conceptions of a man. The beasts are happier, and I will deserve that happiness as best as I can. After he had looked at the cubs playing merrily, how, with soft stealth, one would creep behind another to bounce out and startle him, a thought came into Mr. Tebrick's head and that was that these cubs were innocent. They were as stainless snow. They could not sin. For God had created them to be thus, and they could break none of his commandments. And he fancied also that men sin because they cannot be as the animals. Presently he got up full of happiness and began making his way home, when suddenly he came to a full stop and asked himself, What is going to happen to them? The question rooted him stockishly in a cold and deadly fear as if he had seen a snake before him. 
At last he shook his head and hurried on his path. Aye, indeed. What would become of his vixen and her children? This thought put him into such a fever of apprehension that he did his best not to think of it any more. But yet it stayed with him all that day and for weeks after, at the back of his mind, so that he was not careless in his happiness any more, but as it were trying continuously to escape his own thoughts. This made him also anxious to pass all the time he could with his dear Sylvia, and, therefore, he began going out to them for more of the daytime. And then he would sleep the night in the woods also as he had done that night. And so he passed several weeks, only returning to his house occasionally to get himself a fresh provision of food. But after a week or ten days at the new earth, both his vixen and the cubs, too, got a new habit of roaming. For a long while back, as he knew, his vixen had been lying out alone most of the day, and now the cubs were all for doing the same thing. The earth, in short, had served its purpose, and was now distasteful to them, and they would not enter it unless pressed with fear. This new manner of their lives was an added grief to Mr. Tebrick, for sometimes he missed them for hours together, or for the whole day even, and not knowing where they might be was lonely and anxious. Yet his Sylvia was thoughtful for him, too, and would often send Angelica or another of the cubs to fetch him to their new lair, or come herself if she could spare the time for now they were all perfectly accustomed to his presence, and had come to look on him as their natural companion, although he was in many ways irksome to them by scaring rabbits, yet they always rejoiced to see him when they had been parted from him. This friendliness of theirs was, you may be sure, the source of most of Mr. Tebrick's happiness at this time. Indeed, he lived now for nothing but his foxes. His love for his vixen had extended itself insensibly to include her cubs, and these were now his daily playmates so that he knew them as well as if they had been his own children. With Selwyn and Angelica, indeed, he was always happy, and they never so much as when they were with him. He was not stiff in his behavior either, but had learnt by this time as much from his foxes as they had from him. Indeed, never was there a more curious alliance than this or one with stranger effects upon both of the parties. Mr. Tebrick could now follow after them anywhere and keep up with them too, and he could go through a wood as silently as a deer, he learnt to conceal himself if ever a labourer passed by so that he was rarely seen, and never but once in their company. But what was most strange of all, he had gotten a way of going doubled up, almost on all fours with his hands touching the ground every now and then, particularly when he went uphill. He hunted with them too sometimes, chiefly by coming up and scaring rabbits toward where the cubs lay ambushed so that the bunnies ran straight into their jaws. He was useful to them in other ways climbing up and robbing pigeons' nests for the eggs which they relished exceedingly, or by occasionally dispatching a hedgehog for them so that they did not get prickles in their mouths. But while on his part he thus altered his conduct, they on their side were not behindhand, but learnt a dozen human tricks from him that were ordinarily wanting in Reynard's education. One evening he went to a cottager who had a row of skeps and bought one of them, just as it was after the man had smothered the bees. This he carried to the foxes, that they might taste the honey, for he had seen them dig out wild bees' nests often enough. The skeptful was indeed a wonderful feast for them. They bit greedily into the heavy-scented comb. Their jaws were drowned in the sticky flood of sweetness, and they gorged themselves on it without restraint. When they had crunched up the last morsel, they tore the skep in pieces, and for hours afterwards they were happily employed in licking themselves clean. That night he slept near their lair, but they left him and went hunting. In the morning, when he woke, he was quite numb with cold and faint with hunger. A white mist hung over everything, and the wood smelled of autumn. He got up and stretched his cramped limbs, and then walked homewards. The summer was over, and Mr. Tebrick noticed this now for the first time, and was astonished. He reflected that the cubs were fast growing up. They were foxes at all points. 
and yet when he thought of the time when they had been sooty and had blue eyes it seemed to him only yesterday. From that he passed to thinking of the future, asking himself, as he had done once before, what would become of his vixen and her children. Before the winter he must tempt them into the security of his garden, and fortify it against all the dangers that threatened them. But though he tried to allay his fear with such resolutions, he remained uneasy all that day. When he went out to them that afternoon, he found only his wife Sylvia there, and it was plain to him that she too was alarmed. But alas, poor creature, she could tell him nothing, only lick his hands and face, and turn about pricking her ears at every sound. "'Where are your children, Sylvia?' he asked her several times, but she was impatient of his questions, but at last sprang into his arms, flattened herself upon his breast, and kissed him gently, so that when he departed his heart was lighter because he knew that she still loved him. That night he slept indoors, but in the early morning he was awoken by the sound of trotting horses, and running to the window saw a farmer riding by very sprucely dressed. Could they be hunting so soon, he wondered, but presently reassured himself that it could not be a hunt already. He had heard no other sound till eleven o'clock in the morning, when suddenly there was a clamor of hounds giving tongue, and not so far off neither. At this Mr. Tebrick ran out of his house distracted and set open the gates of his garden, but with iron bars and wire at the top so that the huntsman could not follow. There was silence again. It seemed the fox must have turned away, for there was no other sound of the hunt. Mr. Tebrick was now like one helpless with fear. He dared not go out, yet he could not stay at home. There was nothing that he could do, yet he would not admit this, so he bruised himself in making holes in the hedges, so that Sylvia, or her cubs, could enter from whatever side she came. At last he forced himself to go indoors and sit down and drink some tea. While he was there he fancied he heard the hounds again, but it was a faint ghostly echo of their music. Yet when he ran out of the house it was already close at hand in the copse above. Now it was that poor Mr. Tebrick made his great mistake for hearing the hounds almost outside the gate he ran to meet them, whereas rightly he should have run back to the house. As soon as he reached the gate he saw his wife Sylvia coming toward him, but very tired with running, and just upon her the hounds. The horror of that sight pierced him, for ever afterward he was haunted by those hounds, their eagerness, their desperate efforts to gain on her, and their blind lust for her came at odd moments to frighten him all his life. Now he should have run back, though it was already too late, but instead he cried out to her, and she ran straight through the open gate to him. What followed was all over in a flash, but it was seen by many witnesses. The side of Mr. Tebrick's garden there is bounded by a wall about six feet high and curving round, so that the huntsman could see over the wall inside. One of them indeed put his horse at it very boldly, which was risking his neck, and although he got over safe, was too late to be of much assistance. His vixen had at once sprung into Mr. Tebrick's arms, and before he could turn back the hounds were upon him and had pulled him down. Then at that moment there was a scream of despair heard by all the field that had come up, which they declared afterward was more like a woman's voice than a man's. But yet there was no clear proof whether it was Mr. Tebrick or his wife who had suddenly regained her voice. When the huntsman who had leapt the wall got to them and had whipped off the hounds, Mr. Tebrick had been terribly mauled and was bleeding from twenty wounds. As for his vixen, she was dead, though he was still clasping her dead body in his arms. Mr. Tebrick was carried into the house at once and assistance sent for, but there was no doubt now about his neighbors being in the right when they called him mad. For a long while his life was despaired of, but at last he rallied, and in the end recovered his reason and lived to be a great age. For that matter, 
He is still alive. End of section 8. Recording by David Callahan. www.bunnywood.org. Recording completed October 31st, 2010. End of Lady into Fox by David Garnett.